Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Good morning, Juliet. First, so glad to see you again. Um, we are in week two of this series called The Good and Beautiful Community. Uh, if you missed last week, it was a great week. By the way, we had some fun baptisms. It was just a just a great, great week. But we are in the second week of this series called The Good and Beautiful Community. And the reason why we've decided that we felt like it was important to address this idea of community is that many of us have bought into the assumption when it comes to our faith that it is just God and me. That it's just about God and me. And the truth is, is it's really about God, me, and we. And so many people will come up to me and they'll say, hey, pastor, do you think that I need to go to, to church to be a Christian? And the answer to that is, and many of you will take comfort in this, is no. The answer is no. You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. But I would just say this. It's nearly impossible to continue your faith as a Christian without a community. That your personal relationship with God can't thrive, you guessed it, without people. Your personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. And so we've been looking at this idea of what it means to be a community because here's the truth for you and for me. At some point in our faith journey, we all do it at some point, if not multiple times, we fall off the bandwagon. And the truth is, is we don't want to get back on the bandwagon because we're afraid to approach God with the mess that we've made. And, and of course, we know that God loves you and cares for you and wants to come back, but the, we just feel like we're afraid to address him and come back to him. And we just think that when you're in the context of community, it makes it so much easier. So much easier for you to talk to friends and to talk to people about the struggle that you've experienced and about the mess that you've made with your life. And they can help you get back to a God who truly loves you and knows who you are. And so today we're looking at this idea. And this is kind of, this is like something we know and something that we work toward. It's our current mission statement. We're learning what it means to be a community of hope. What does it mean to be the hopeful community. So, would you pray for me today? We're going to be working in Paul, and Paul is difficult to work through. So, we're going to have fun when we do it, though, and it'll be great. So, would you give, pray for me and, and, and just pray that God will give me strength to do this? Lord, we do give thanks for this time. Pray that you would be over the, in, in the next uh, half hour as we grow together and we learn together. May your words come through. And may your message of truth and love and grace be evident. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 That's right. I love it. Thank you. Janelle and I lived in Mount Vernon um, right after we were married. And she was, uh, she was teaching school at school. And I was finishing up school, not because I was a slacker, but I was deployed, which put me like a year and some change behind. And so I was finishing school. She was teaching school. And one of the things that we loved to do in Mount Vernon, it was so great. There were a plethora of farmers. We have any farmers in here? I think we maybe have a couple. But there was tons of farmers in Mount Vernon. It was like only farmers in Mount Vernon. And as you can imagine, where there are farmers... There are cattle, there are cows, and where there are cows, there are milk, and where there is milk, there is lots of ice cream. 
And we loved ice cream. We were healthy conscious. And so weekly we would go down to this place called the United Dairy Farmers where we would get milkshakes, really health conscious there. And we would just enjoy, I mean, some of the best milkshakes you could get in town. And I know United Dairy Farmers is probably like a chain, but I didn't care. There it was really good. And so we would go and get milkshakes. But then something changed over time. We would walk into the store and I would say, are you going to get a milkshake? And she'd say, no, not tonight. And you know what it's like when you want to get something sweet and your friends, like, they don't do it with you. You feel like you're guilty because you're indulging in something that's really good. And they're making you, like, they're, like, shaming you. They're throwing shade on you for, for like, not being healthy. And so you start guilting them. And so I started, you know, guilting Janelle. Hey, come on. Like, I don't want to be the only one to get a milkshake. You really should just go ahead and get one. And she said, no, I think I will just have a sip or so of yours. Now, I'm newly married, so I don't know this game. Um, but, but she said, I'll just have a sip or so of yours. And so I order this great milkshake, and we get in the car, and we're headed down the street. And I'm thinking, well, I'm generous, and I'm going to be a gentleman. And so I said, well, you can have the first sip if you would like it. And so <clears throat> 10 minutes later, she hands me the milkshake, and half of it's gone. And I'm like... I thought you said you wanted a, a sip. This is more like a so and less than a sip. Like half of it's gone now. And, and you just totally ruined my milkshake. I was looking forward to enjoying the entire thing, but you drank half of it. And so the next time we go in, it didn't take me long to learn that when she says, no, I don't want anything, I'll just have a sip of yours. I was like, no, I'm not sharing this milkshake with you. You will not get my milkshake. And she, you know, newly married couples, you know, they have their ways. And so she would lean into me and she'd snuggle up to me. Now she just demands it. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that at all. But she would lean into me and she would say, you know, sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. And I would look at her and I'd say, I know sharing is caring. But right now I'm not sharing and I don't care. You're not getting any of my milkshake. We've already done this. We've been through this. If you want half of the milkshake, I will buy you an entire one, and I'll have a milkshake and a half, but I'm not only going to drink half of this thing. It is too good to share with you. Now, my guess is you've had things in life that are too good to share, right? You've had a juicy cheeseburger. Come on, who doesn't love a juicy cheeseburger when it's greasy and it's got tomatoes and onions and like mayo and ketchup and mustard? And when you bite in it and it runs down your face like you're bathing in this fatty, fatty goodness. Um, I'm not sharing that with you. No, I'm going to indulge in all of it. Maybe a Chipotle burrito, right? Enough calories to feed an entire army for a week. But guess what? Nobody's sharing that burrito. That burrito is out of this world, and we're just going to keep eating it. So we're not going to share it. There are things in life that are so good, you're not going to share it. But then there are things in life that you want to share with people, right? We go from the other spectrum, from not wanting to share with you to... I can't help it but share with you. This is just too good. The coffee experience. I love it when I pull up. Sorry for those of you who are upset at my Dunkin' Donuts comment last week. I'm really sorry about that. Um, but I love it when I pull up to the coffee shop um, and, and somebody says, the, the, the barista says to me, hey, the person in front of you, they paid for you. Like their coffee is so good. They love what we do here that they wanted you to enjoy your cup of coffee for free. They just wanted to share it with you. 
And of course, you can't be the, the jerk that says, fine, I'll just take it and not share with the person behind me. And so you say, well, let's keep this party going. And inevitably, uh, their bill is twice as much as what your coffee bill is going to be. And so you pay for it anyway. But just a side thought, does anybody else find it a bit odd after you pay for somebody's coffee? Because you know you're going to pull up to the stoplight together, and it's like, do, do I look over at them and say, you're welcome, like talk through the glass, you know, um, or do you just ignore them? And, and if you ignore them, are you being rude? Because maybe they're looking at you to say thank you to you. And I just find it extremely odd. And so I just zip out of there as fast as I can. And I hope they'll never catch me. I don't even care if I get a speeding ticket. It's so worth it not to have that awkward, creepy moment with the person you just bought coffee for. But we love coffee and we share it. Maybe it's music, right? You've had this experience where you've heard this one song and you know that you could put it on repeat for like the rest of your life and you could just listen to it. You're like, will this ever get old to me? And so when you find that one song, what do you do? You share it with your friends because there's nothing better than singing a fantastic song with all of your friends. Maybe it's Amazon. I, you know, if somebody gets something on Amazon and I'm like, hey, where did you get that? And they say, oh, I... I purchased stuff from Amazon. Oh, would you share that with me? And I don't know if you know this, but when you share a link now with Amazon, there is a promotional video that they will send to you for the product. No longer it's a picture or a link. It's a promotional video. I don't know. I think that's really cool. It just makes me want to buy it even more. Uh, maybe it is a YouTube video. Come on, you saw YouTube videos. Hilarious, funny, on the floor laughing you share with your friends. Maybe it was a social media post. I know there's a lot of junky social media posts. There are more junk than there is good. But you have experienced that great post, and you've shared it with people. You've shared it with people. And it's amazing how quick a post that has changed your life can impact thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. And here's what I know. Here's why you share. You share because you care. You share because you care. And the reason why you share that coffee or that YouTube video or that Amazon link or whatever it may be, you share because you think it's going to make somebody else's life better because it made your life better. It was life-giving to you. But let's be honest for just a minute. When it comes to you and me and when it comes to God and when it comes to this whole faith thing, we wrestle with this tension of this is too good to share and this is too good not to share. Am I the only one that wrestles with this tension? Like, in your faith journey, there are many times where you want to share your faith. Like, God has done something amazing in your life. He has changed you from the inside out and you want to share it with people, but you're afraid to share it with people. Because if you share it, they're going to think that you're wacko and crazy. And so you make excuses. I make excuses. I make excuses all the time. Like, hey, listen, they just don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about Jesus. There's a good chance they don't want me praying for them in front of all these people. It's going to be weird for them. Uh, they're just going to cuss me out. Or they just might punch me in the face. Or they just might run me over with their car. I don't know. If I share Jesus, who knows what can happen. But the biggest excuse that we make is this in the church, that only a select and certain few will share their faith with you. That only a certain select few will share their faith with you. That, hey, that job is for them. That is for the all-out-there's, the varsities. Those are for the people who are kind of like a little bit overly zealous for Jesus. We'll let them go out and do that. 
They have like no emotional intelligence and they have no social awareness. Like they'll talk about Jesus wherever they want. That's, that's fine. They can go do that, but I'm not going to do that. And what we do is we buy into this idea that there are only certain people in the faith community that are allowed to share their faith because they're willing to share their faith. And you're like, that witnessing thing, that whole evangelism thing, totally not for me. Like, I get it. You, ever, you should have lunch with our DS sometime. Like, we go out to eat, and he'll say, we are people of faith. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Seriously, facepalm, just stop. And he's like, we would like to pray for you before we eat. And I'm like, please, be quiet. This is so awkward. But that's not me. And my guess is, for many of you, that's not you either. You struggle to just get it out there. But here's what I want to push back on today is that as a hopeful community, as, as we are learning what it means to be a hopeful community, this is something that is so good that collectively, as a whole, we have experienced that we have to share. And not just a few, but everyone who is part of this. Everyone who is part of this. And I know you're saying, I don't know how to get there. And the whole goal today is to help you to understand where we want you to head next in order to grow your faith in a way that you'll be able to share it like you've never done it before. And not be awkward, by the way. So y'all ready for this? I'm pretty excited. It's great. Today we're going to look at a letter written by a man named Paul. Many of you are familiar with Paul. If you don't know Paul and it's your first time in church, there was this guy who persecuted a lot of the followers of Jesus when they first started following. And then miraculously, he runs into Jesus and he becomes the biggest proponent of Jesus and starts one of the biggest movements we know today called the church. And here's what I know about Paul. Paul has no problem with sharing. Paul will go into the places where God is least likely to exist and least likely to be. We think God is only here. Well, Paul would go to all these pagan places, like the most horrific, you think of the most horrific place in Joliet that you could think of, where you think God won't be. That's where Paul would go, and he would plant a church there. He would find some of the weirdest, oddest practices and people, and he'd say, that's where I'm going, and that's where I'm going to plant a church, because I think that's where God needs to be. And he wasn't afraid to go in and say, this is who God is, and I think you need him, and I think he'll change your life. And that's what Paul did. He went all across the world, stepping into weird, odd places and doing weird, odd things with weird, odd people in order to share his faith with them. And so one of the communities that he shares his faith with is this, this group called Colossae, or this city called Colossae. And it's so interesting because they also have a problem with sharing, but oversharing. Like, they have a problem with sharing. It's not that they're not sharing, it's just that they're sharing too much. And here's the problem for the people of this city. They loved the story of Jesus. They thought it was a great story, and they loved it. And they thought, Jesus, hey, he's doing amazing things. He's changing lives. He's changing our lives. But they also didn't mind sharing that story with every other religious story. So it is almost like the buffet of religions. When you come to Colossae, whatever you want, all you can eat, religion buffet. Just eat whatever you would like. Jesus is just a little gravy on the mashed potatoes of Muslim faith. That's all he is, you know. Jesus was just like an add-on. That's what the people from Colossae thought. And so Paul writes them. He writes them to say, no, 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 no. I need you to understand something. I'm, it's great that you're sharing, <laughs> but, 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 Jesus, but Jesus is not an add-on to everything else. 
This different redemptive God that has changed your life is not an add-on God. I hate to tell you this, but he's central to the story of, of creation and salvation and of rescuing people's lives. And it's either him or nothing at all. And so he writes to them to kind of help them get back on track with how is it that we share our faith and where do we start? And so here's what he says. He says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Now I want to stop right here. I love this. He says, we have heard of your faith. I want to go back, go back for a second. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. I love this. So he commends them. He says, you have a fantastic love for people. And I love it when Paul writes to them because when he says you, he's not writing to the personal you, like the individual you, but he's writing to the plural you, the whole community. And he says, I love how the whole community has gotten together and they love all people because all people are God's people. I don't know if you know this, but people who may not follow God are still God's people. Whether you, like, if they look like you, they smell like you, they sweat like you, they drink like you, they talk like you, and breathe like you, if they're a human being, God created them in their image. And the people of Colossae understood this, that everybody is welcome to this. And he says, all people are God's people. Thank you for loving all kinds of people at all times. So he goes on. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up from you in heaven, he continues, and about which you have already heard is the true message of the gospel that has come to you. And so he goes on and he says, I know that I've written to other people before and I've told them that love is the greatest and it's beyond anything that you could imagine. I don't know some Corinthian community that I wrote to once. And I know that I talked about the importance of love. And I know that I've talked about the importance of faith, that those two are essential ingredients to our life. But he says, you cannot have faith and love without hope. Like, how are you to love people with what hope? Like, if you don't have hope, what are you going to love them with? If you don't have a story to get behind, which is your hope, how do you love them? How do you share that with them? And so he says, if you want to share and care, it begins with hope. If you want to share and care, it begins with this message of hope. And he says, we have given you the true message, the gospel news, the good news. And I want you to know this, that hope starts with a story. That this is the starting point for all of us. Like when it comes to our faith and we have questions about how we're going to share it, I just want you to know, hope is where it starts and it starts with a story. And I want you to know that the more that story becomes you, the more naturally you begin to live that out. I, we, we have some, some new pastors in our church who are just taking up preaching, and I'm still learning, and it's a fun journey. But one of the things, and they hate me for it, uh, one of the things that they hate me for is I would tell them, if you're going to preach, we're going to preach without notes. And I know they don't like the practice, and I know they don't like the criticism, and I don't either because it's really difficult. But I would tell them, if you have to look at your notes, it's not inside of you. This message has not resonated with you. It's not become you. You've not wrestled with it or thought about it enough. If you have to read it, you're not going to connect. And so it's kind of like this art of preaching. This is what Paul wants to say to them. This story has to become you so you can naturally share it with other people without having to look down at the Bible and say, let me 
flip to page or chapter, and let me explain this to you. And so here's where he starts. I love this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He goes on. Set your whole minds on things above and not on earthly things. But then he says this. For you died. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, I know in the church, we will often say to you, Christ died for you. But rarely do we say that Christ died with you. Like, that seems a bit odd. There is something mysterious about the cross in the sense that there is a dying to us. And this is where Paul says, this is where hope starts. Like, I need you to go back to the beginning when you first started following. And do you remember this self-awareness moment? This time where, where you were introduced to Jesus and the story and the power and the things he could do in your life. And all of a sudden, you had this awareness of something in your life that needed to go. You know what needed to go. Like, you could sense it in your life. Paul says, this is where the hope story starts. Like, you remember you had this marriage and this relationship that was awful and it was terrible and you couldn't get along and you couldn't figure out how to be a husband. You also couldn't figure out how to be a, a father. And you were sensing something inside of you and you met Jesus and he said, hey, come with me this way. I want to show you a better way. Maybe you struggle with anger or you just struggle with people and that's just all there is to it. And you know that that's a problem for you and you met Jesus and he said, hey, come on, come with me for just one minute. I want to show you something different. Maybe it's an addiction. We all have addictions. I don't care where you are in life. Some we are all addicted to something. And Jesus says, when he meets you, you know what needs to go. You know what needs to go. In fact, I'm leading you to this hope. And I love this thought that when God meets us in that moment, when you have this awareness that there's something that needs to go in your life, it's called grace. This is where hope starts. Yeah, I love it when people say we should bring people to the church, but then we should tell them what's wrong with their life, what they need to fix in their life. And my answer to that is, no, you don't tell people what's wrong in their life. You just bring them to church and you let God do the work. I think God's grace holds people accountable. You don't need to tell them what's wrong in their life. Over time, as they experience God and they get to know who he is, he's quietly going to speak into their life and he's going to say, you know this one thing? I know it's been okay up to now, but I just, I just want to talk with you about it. And this is God's grace beginning to work in your life. And Paul says, this is the starting point. Hope, right? Hope begins with a remembrance of, oh yeah, that's right. God did something in my life where I no longer lived a lie. That's what he's moving us from, right? That we're no longer living a lie, a false sense of who you are, but you are called to a new life which brings you into the true sense of who you are. Moana, right? I love that line. This is not who you are. This is who you are. And this is what Paul is wanting to remind them. So he says, he continues, now that we've got the grace part down, he says, there is a power that comes with this grace. And he says, you have been resurrected with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. With us means there's power within us. 
With us is power within us. And I know, like, this is so Christianese. This is the point where I tell you, hey, Jesus raised from the dead, and now you, that same power lives in you, and we all walk out here like, I, I know that, but I don't know what that means. Come on, shake your head. You, you know that's true, right? When I tell you that you were raised to life with Christ and that power lives within you, and you're like, yeah, I know, but I don't know. So let me help you understand, because I'm trying to understand it too. I remember uh, not too long ago, my boys and I were coming back from a soccer game or something, and this 60-year-old white woman, and I know that she was white just by the way she was dancing, um, 60-year-old white woman pulls up next to me. And I'm, you know, looking ahead. I don't like to, you know, mug people or, like, glare at them and stare at them. But this lady, I kid you not, I mean, it's horrific. She's like, you know. <laughs> she's all put together in a nice little suit. She looks very nice, very professional, but she's up there just at the wheel, just, I mean, she could not dance for a while. I don't know what kind of 60s weed she was on or what she was smoking or what she was listening to. But I just want to say this, consider the power of music. Like, we would say, oh, it's music, man. There's no power in music. Are you kidding me? If it could make a 60-year-old white woman dance in her car and she would never do that in front of anybody else, maybe not even in front of her own husband, Consider that power, that the moment that, 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 that those, those tunes just begin to ring into her eardrums and she starts dancing and moving and she has no care that I'm staring at her. Who cares that I look goofy? Like, I don't care what other people think. I'm enjoying this moment. She's just going to town. The power of music to move somebody to do something that they would never do in front of other people or on their own, like... Powerful. Think about the power of music to bring people together. Have you, when's the last time you went to a concert? Come on, students, you've been to concerts, right? When's the last time you've gone to a concert and you said, I wonder how many white people are in here today? I wonder how many black people or Hispanic people have showed up at this concert today. I want to know how many poor people, or I wonder if there are any wealthy. No, when you show up, you show up to join thousands and thousands and thousands of people that you don't know and you don't even care that you don't know but you know that you're going to enjoy all of this together the power of music to unite people and if music can do that i mean i'm just wondering the same kind of force that took somebody who was laying with their eyes closed and they were no longer breathing and everybody said that they were dead because they were gone for three days and they thought that he would stinketh by then. I love that language, King James. Stinketh by then. <laughs> if that force could then move God, move Christ from the grave, if music can do that, what kind of power that moves Jesus to do something that he would never do on his own is now living within us to help us to do something that we could never do with our own minds and our own strength, but only because Jesus was raised with you. With you. Come on, is that not hope? He makes you aware of this grace. He raises you and he gives you power to do things that you would never do on your own. And then he says this. I love this. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, I've always wondered, like, what does that look like? 
Is it this big palace? Is it like this chair of gold? I've always just dreamed, what does this look like? And I've never really understood the significance of seated. But come on, you've had a hard day's work, right? There are many of you who do physical labor. You do hard things. You go to work. You're exhausted when you get home. Maybe you've run the marathon, or maybe you go to the gym, or maybe you've done gardening work or yard work, or you've spread mulch over the weekend or whatever it is. Heavy, heavy work or hard work, or you've completed something. And you get home, and what's the first thing you do? You sit down. Right? When you have finished today, when everything that, that, that you needed to get done was accomplished, you sit down. You're seated because it's completed. You're seated because it's completed. And when Jesus sits down, he says, I have done my work. I am seated because my work is completed. But this story has to continue. So in my completion, I'm now handing you the keys. Y'all with me on this? Right? I've redeemed you. I've saved you. I've given you grace. I now give you power. And not only do I give you power, but I hand you the keys to everything that I have done. And you're going to do exceptionally more than, than I've ever done. And I think, what does it look like for us as a church to be handed the keys? Maybe it starts with the small things. Many of you know we have this thing called Hope Closet, and we have some wonderful people that put that together and who organize it and who structure it. And, who, and, and I would just say this, over the course of a year and a half since it's been going, or, or two years, I think it's been about a year and a half, maybe two years, we have served two years. Two years? Okay. Over the course of two years, we have served over 200, not people, families. 200 families have been impacted by a closet, a little closet that sits right next to this sanctuary. And they come in once a month on Saturdays and people receive clothes for free. You talk about taking the keys. You talk about taking the power of God within us. You talk about being reminded of God's grace for us and with us to clothe somebody in need. Is that not the greatest expression of hope? When you meet a need and you say, I know you need clothes, here you go. There's no charge. We are glad that you can be here. And you know what? If they walk out of here and they never come back again, and the only thing that they remember about our church is that this church gave me hope, I will be happy. I will be seated. And so should you. This is the story God gives us. When we say it, it starts with hope. Hope starts with the story. This is what Paul is reminding this church of. When you share your faith, I want you to remember it started with grace. I've given you a power and I've also handed you the keys. And this story is too good not to be shared. And here's what I want you to know today. Right? A hopeful community shares what's been shared because it's too good not to be shared. I want you to remember, it starts with the fact that you have been shared something. And I need you to click the little square with the arrow button in it and share it with somebody else. Share what's been shared because it's too good not to be shared. Now, I need to put on my Joel Osteen face because I, I need to say this gracefully. So everybody put on a smile with me. 
Y'all ready for this? It's one thing to know the story. Sorry, I'll get there. It's one thing to know the story. But it's a major problem when we don't grow in the story. It's one thing to know the story, but it's a big problem when we don't grow in the story. See, part of growing, part of the story becoming you is this continued journey, as we see around here, forward movement in your faith. And I just need to be honest, church, for just a minute. So smile again. I've had some really tough conversations with people over the last month. And they've not been fun. And they've been really hard. And I have to hear things that I don't necessarily like either. But one of the things that I've recognized as a pastor and our leaders have recognized as our church is... There's a disparaging gap between those who lead and those in need. And sometimes, just because you know the story, just because you're knowledgeable, doesn't mean you're not needy. In fact, I would say some of the most knowledgeable people in the faith are some of the most needy people in the faith. And we're asking people to raise the bar. Like there is a gap between those who lead and those who need. And we can't continue to be a community that is defined by need. If we want to be hope to the world, we have to raise people up as leaders. I was meeting with a pastor the other day, and he said to me, your problem with your church is, is, is your mission statement. And I'm like, well, it's not really a statement. I, I don't know what it is, but I mean, it was adopted when we came here. It was already here. But he said, hope is in the wrong place. And I was really angry. He offended me. Um, I was, you know, we were kind of sparring back and forth. And then he said, hope's in the wrong place for your community. All right, what does that mean? He said, hope is not something that you have to talk about. Hope is not a program that you have to put in place to let people know that you're a hopeful community. He says, hope is a byproduct of people who follow Jesus Christ. Like, we don't have to manufacture hope. We don't have to tell people to do this and to do that. And the reason why we don't have gaps of people serving in places is because it flows out of who they are because they are natural followers of Christ. They have taken this story of hope. They've put it into their lives and they've continued to grow in it and they know who Jesus is and they serve out of that, which means hope naturally becomes part of their community. And I'm like, that makes sense. I'm sorry I was really rude, but that makes sense. And so we're, we're, we're trying as leaders to figure out our church, our vision team, and our, and our staff. We're trying to figure out how do we move people that are in need to those who lead. And I think that being a community hope or being hope to a hurting world, that is a great vision for what we see. But it's not the mission. It's a great vision for what we could do for Joliet and the people around us, but it's not our mission. I think our mission is to lead people toward a forward-moving relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice I said forward-moving. That we will not be defined by being stale and boring. I think the greatest sin of the church is putting God to sleep. 
You want to know why God doesn't answer prayers half the time? I think it's because, like, he's asleep. Our lives are so dull, and we are so boring, and the church has, has resigned to just this small space on Sunday. And God is saying, I've wanted so much more for you. I wanted you to be like that white woman that's grooving to music and doing things that you would never do, that you could never dream of. But we have so watered down what this community is supposed to look like. And so I want us to capture that. I want us to be dreamers. I want us to be followers of the actual Jesus that walked on this earth and that met people in their dirtiest, their nastiest, and their ugly moments. And he offers them grace. And the more we learn to love him, the more hope we can offer. And so here's where we're gonna start. It's about discipleship. And I know we're gonna be doing this in the fall, but it starts with you having a community around you. Let's just be honest, this gathering, it's great, we know each other, we talk to each other, we say hi, but it's not a cohesive group of people that you would share everything with in your life. And so where we want you to go, where we want you to grow, it's not just knowing, but it's about growing, is to be in a group. Like if you're not in a small group and you refuse to be in a small group, I'm just letting you know, it's a struggle. It's going to be a struggle for you. You need people that you can be honest with, that you can tell them your deepest hurts. You can tell them who hurt you. You can tell them about the people that you lost in your life. You can tell them about your kids that walked out on you and you love them so much, but you know they're not coming back. It's a great opportunity for you to meet with people and say, I don't know what Pastor Brad was talking about today, but I just have a lot of questions. I don't really agree with what he had to say today, but here I have some thoughts. And the beauty of that, as we share, and as we get to know each other, and as we discover God's word together, and we challenge each other. Hey, by the way, last week we were challenged to do this. How'd you do? When there's accountability, you grow. You're not going to get that in this time. You're not going to get that in rows, but you'll get it in circles. And so I know that in the fall, we'll start our groups up again, but I'm just saying this. If you're not in a group, we want you to get in a group. We want you at least to sign up for small groups today. That's part of it. That is one part of the discipleship process that we have. And we'll share more about that later. But if you're not in a group, or you just flat out refuse to be in a group, there's a good chance that maybe not as healthy as you could be and I want you to be healthy I want us to be growing I want us to be moving because I want us to be hope to the city around us that needs hope let's pray Lord thank you for your goodness to us we remember the story today that you have died with us you have raised us with you and now you have handed us the keys to your kingdom so we're not only going to know this story, but we're going to allow the story to become us and we're going to grow in it. And so I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. I pray that we would ask you to search our hearts and our minds and our souls and just ask the question, Lord, is there any spiritual depth to me or is there a lack of depth to me that you need to address? Lord, we open ourselves up to that this morning and we say, 
speak to us, grow us, move us, help us to gain forward movement in our relationship with you so we can be hope to the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.